Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Um, I also want to say hello and good morning to those of you who are watching online. Um, hope everyone is enjoying their weekend so far. Um, as Chris said, we are going to continue on in this series here through the book of Proverbs called The Grounded Life. Um, but today we are going to make a shift. There'll be a transition in the way that we've been going about the series because uh, up until this point, we've basically been going chronologically through the first nine books, kind of verse by verse. Um, but now we're going to make a shift uh, because we'll get into the actual Proverbs themselves to uh, the, looking at it more thematically or, or by specific topic. And the first topic that we want to look at is around this area of friendship. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's kind of interesting thinking about friendship after the year we've all just gone through. I mean, words like shelter in place or social distance or quarantine, those aren't the type of words that naturally foster a thriving environment for friendship. I mean, certainly many people this last year, probably even some still, are dealing with the effects of feeling extremely lonely and isolated. But one thing is, is that actually, uh, even before COVID, we were already as a society struggling with loneliness in a major way. In fact, one article I looked at this week was, a, it was from this year, 2021, by Harvard Magazine. Uh, but the title of it was The Loneliness Pandemic. And in it, it said this, social psychologists define loneliness as the gap between the social connections you would like to have and those you feel you experience. Well, I would say based on that definition, all of us have had moments this last year where we have felt lonely. However, though, the article goes on and it cites and looks at all of this research that, was, uh, that came out before COVID ever happened. Um, and it looked at the long-term effects of loneliness. And here's, here's what the article says. According to a 2018 report by the Henry J. Kaiser Family Foundation, 22% of adults in the United States say that they often or always feel lonely or socially isolated. A national 2019 survey led by the health insurer Cigna found that 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. Books like Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam have highlighted the decline of social capital in the United States. But more recently, loneliness has become a serious issue of public health. In 2017, former U.S. Sur Surgeon General Vivek Murthy called loneliness a public health epidemic. The United Kingdom appointed a minister for loneliness a year later in 2018. The health implications of loneliness have become clearer over time. According to the research of Julianne Holt Lundstad, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Brigham Young University, she talked about the heightened risk of mortality from loneliness equals that of smoking 15 cigarettes a day or of being an alcoholic, and it exceeds the health risk associated with obesity. Researchers are now actively studying the mechanisms by which loneliness affects health, including its relationship with inflammation and harmful changes in DNA expressions. Now, hopefully you were able to track with that. Bottom line, loneliness is a bad thing. You see, again, for some of us this last year with COVID, it was maybe for some of us the first time that we dealt with it in any kind of major way, that we dealt with the effects and of loneliness and isolation. But as the article points out, as a culture, we were well already on our way to becoming a lonely society before COVID hit. 
And not only is it affecting our mental health, but again, as the article points out, loneliness has a devastating effect on our physical health as well. Mother Teresa saw this and pointed it out well before any of uh, this research or articles were talking about it because in her 1995 book, The Simple Path, she wrote this. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in our world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. And so certainly as we think about uh, this and think about this topic, one of the antidotes or cures, you could say, for loneliness is deep friendship. And when it comes to the topic of friendship, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about it. In fact, author uh, Hugh Black in his uh, book on friendship, he wrote this. He said, the book of Proverbs might almost be called a treatise on friendship. There is no book, even in classic literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. And so because of that, we're going to, again, look at this topic from the book of Proverbs. And our outline to help guide us this morning will be this. Number one, the necessity of friendship. Number two, the marks of friendship. And then finally, we'll look at the most important friendship. But before we get started, let me open us up in prayer and ask the Lord to guide our time. I also want to pray for uh, just our church body. You know, in the last week or two, we've had uh, members lose over five parents. And it just has been sort of an unusual week. And I know a lot of you are hurting. Uh, I know just even in the last year alone, uh, many of you have lost your, your mom or your dad or both. And so I'm going to pray for that as well. So please join me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for waking us up and for the life and the breath that you give us each day. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would uh, help us this morning to uh, open our hearts to your word. Pray you'd give us sensitive hearts, hearts that are willing and able to receive what you have for us. And Lord, I do want to pray for uh, the, those many members who have lost a parent even in this last week or two. Father, we just pray that by your spirit, you would come alongside them and comfort them, that you would fill them with your peace. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd be with us, you'd guide us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so before we jump into this, I just want to share with you a really good book I looked at this week in preparation, and uh, some of the things I'm going to share with you this morning uh, directly come from it. And it might be something you want to pick up if this is a topic you're interested in going in deeper. It's called True Friendship. Um, it's from a British pastor named Vaughn Roberts. It's super short. It's like less than 100 pages. And again, I just found it to be a helpful resource, and you might want to, to look at that. And so starting with the first point in our outline here, the necessity of friendship, let's actually go back to the book of Genesis first before we get into Proverbs. And the reason for that is because Genesis shows us something very important about the way that we were designed as humans. In Genesis 2, starting uh, in verse 7, we read this as part of the creation account. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Okay, so we see here in this verse that God uh, creates Adam, that he forms him from the dust of the ground, and then he breathes 
into him. And at that point, Adam becomes a living being. But then if we skip down to verse 18 of chapter 2, we read this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, up until this point in the creation story, after God has created something, he has then looked at it and said that it was good. And yet here, for the first time in the creation narrative, we see God say that something is not good. And what he says is not good is for the man to be alone. Now, as you guys know from there, uh, the story goes on and it says that God brings all of the different animals before Adam and he gives them their name. But it says that a suitable helper for Adam was not found. And then again, as you know, we, the story goes on and God then creates Eve and she becomes this companion and helper for Adam. And, and at that point, he is no longer alone. And because of that, the story goes from saying that something was not good to God looking at his creation and saying that it is very good. Now, granted, as most of us, as we read this, we often only think about it in the context of the marriage relationship. Again, that idea of it not being good for man to be alone. But actually, I think if you look at it, there's a broader or perhaps even a deeper principle at work here. Jonathan Holmes, in his book on friendship called The Company We Keep, he went on to say this about the passage. He said, while Genesis 2.18 relates directly to the creation of Eve, it, also, it is also a primary ontological statement about the nature of man who is, whether he admits it or not, a relational being. His growth and significance are worked out in relationships. The problem of Adam being alone, therefore, did not reflect a failure either in Adam's divine design or in his performance as a person. It lay in the limited nature of humanity that none of us can be a community in ourselves the way that God is a community in himself. Did you catch what Holmes said there? He said, yes, Genesis 2.18 is about the creation of Eve, but it's also more than that. You see, we are by design, we are created to be relational beings. And for some reason, God designed us in such a way that relationally, we need not just a relationship with him, but we also need a relationship with each other. Again, as, as Holmes said there, he said, unlike God, you and I, we cannot be a community unto ourselves. No, we need others. In other words, Simon and Garfunkel, they lied to us, okay? You're probably like, what, what are you talking about? Well, I, I grew up in a household that really loved music, particularly my dad. And so whether we were in the car or whether we were in the house, it just felt like music was always playing. But uh, there were basically three genres of music that we listened to in the house I grew up in. It was Southern gospel, um, country, uh, and I grew up in the 90s, so 90s country back when it was good, and, um, and then uh, oldies. Now as a kid, out of those three genres, if I got to pick, if we were in the car uh, and I kind of knew my parameters, you know, I couldn't just like, put on the rap station or something, you know, I would, I would pick oldies. I just have always sort of liked them. But there was one song that I've always liked, but I've never paid attention to the words. And it's Simon and Garfunkel's, I am a rock. Anybody remember that song? All right, for you, uh, for those of you who are maybe under 40, I'm gonna show you a video here that plays the song and we can look at the lyrics together. Winter's day 
The last line is um, a rock never cries and an, a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. So depressing, right? Like I, it, it, that song gets you because like as a kid, it's like, man, it's an upbeat. It's a happy song. And then this week I looked at the lyrics and I'm like, wow, that is so depressing. And yet it tries to come off, I think, as kind of a tough guy anthem of like, I don't need anybody. I'm perfectly fine by myself, but it's obvious that it's a false bravado. No, what's really driving the aloneness, obviously, is the fear of getting hurt again. It's not about this innate desire to be alone, because, again, as we just saw in Genesis, that goes against the very nature of how we were designed. And it's not just Genesis, which talks about the necessity of friendship. No, this idea runs throughout the Bible, but it's certainly found here in the book of Proverbs. For example, a very well-known and famous Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Again, you and I, we need friendships. If we are to grow, if we are to be healthy, if we are to become all that God has called us to be, we need each other. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. You see, one thing that's unique about friendship compared to siblings is that friends don't have to love you, right? Like mom, you know, their mom doesn't make you love them the way that your siblings do. It's like, you will be nice to them. You will love them. They're your brother, right? Friends don't have to do that. Rather, they choose to love you, right? Like for the most part, siblings are going to be there for you when you need them. But sometimes that is motivated by obligation and duty. However, though, a friend shows up. They're there for you, not because they have to, but because they want to, and ultimately because they love you. On those same lines, along with comparing a friend to a sibling, Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. 
Now, according to commentator Derek Kidner, the word translated as neighbor in Proverbs uh, often refers to the friend relationship. And so what the writer of Proverbs is saying here is that when you are in trouble, when you need someone, it's better for you to have a friend who is nearby who can help rather than a brother or a sibling who is far away. And certainly it's obvious Proverbs has in mind here physical distance. But I think that it also can be applied in terms of relational distance. And what I mean by that is that for some of you, if you're really going through something hard, something where you need a friend, someone to talk to, again, for most of you, you would rather go to a friend than a sibling because again, relationally, you and your sibling might not be that close. And that's certainly true for those of us who are believers, but who have siblings who are not. And so again, I think what we see here in just these couple of verses is, is, is that uh, friendship is absolutely important. It is necessary in our lives. In other words, friendship is not optional. It's not just something that, you know, if I have time for it, it's a good idea. No, if you want to be wise, if you want to walk down the path of wisdom, friendship is essential. And so that's the first point here. Let's go on to the next one, though, in our outline, and that is the marks of friendship. Now, obviously, as we think about this uh, idea of friendship in, in, in terms of a broad category, we all know that there are different types of friendships. And in terms of understanding the marks of friendships, I think it might be helpful to talk about the different categories of friendship. Um, all read of Raveau, a, a 12th century British monk, who I'm sure you all just read recently. Um, and his, in his book entitled Spiritual Friendship, uh, he, he describes and talks about these three different categories of friends. And I, I think his distinction here is helpful. And so let me share those with you because he talks about how uh, in the different categories, there's a different goal behind the relationship. And the first friendship he talked about is what he called carnal friends or carnal friendship. Now, it's probably not what you're thinking, um, but uh, what he meant by carnal friendships was there are those types of friendships that are based on a common shared pursuit of pleasure. In other words, these might be a friendship that's based on a common interest or even a hobby. And so this might be someone who's like a golf buddy, or maybe it's someone in your book club, or maybe it's uh, someone in your running group or something like that. And you know, I, I, at least just from what I've observed, I would say that for most non-Christians, this is the main source or the main type of friendship that they have, right? Like again, it's based on a common interest or a common hobby. Now, the second type of category that Allred talked about was what he called worldly friendships. Now, worldly friendships are those that are based on mutual advantage. In other words, these are the type of friendships that you might have with, say, like a business partner or a coworker, or even maybe think of someone like a neighbor. And so again, this would be someone you're in a relationship with, honest, if you're being honest, simply because it brings mutual benefit to both of you. But then Allred went on and he described a third type of friendship, which he believed was the deepest of all the friendships. And that's what he called spiritual friendship. And spiritual friendship is grounded in a mutual commitment to follow Jesus Christ. Now, again, there, there's nothing wrong with having friends who fit in the other two categories. In fact, as, as Christians, that's the main way that you and I meet with and interact with non-believers. However, though, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your closest friends and your deepest friends should fall, I think, in that category of spiritual friendships. 
which again has this common goal of helping and encouraging each other to follow Christ. In fact, when you read through the Proverbs, one of the things that you see over and over again is that you and I need to be careful with the type of friends that we choose to have. And the reason for that is because at the end of the day, the wrong type of friends can and often do lead to uh, destruction in your life. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. A sort of modern day proverb that you might hear at say a high school graduation or a college graduation would say something like this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. That's cheesy, but it's also kind of true. It's basically what those other two Proverbs were saying. And so because this is our reality, you and I, we need to be wise in our friendships and we need to make sure that our closest friends, our deepest friends, are people who fit that third category. Again, what Allred called spiritual friendships. And so with that said, let me share with you now four marks of friendship that we find repeated throughout the Proverbs. And as we go through these four marks, I want you to be thinking uh, not only of the kind of friends that you should be looking for or the kind of friends you should be in relationship with, but I want you to also be thinking about the kind of friend that you should be to others. And so the first mark that we want to look at here is commitment. Um, Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, part of what I think this verse is getting at is that one of the jobs of a friend is to look out for and to protect each other from ruin. And yet, as it points out, if, if you have unreliable friends, if you have friends who are uncommitted, then you are at risk of falling into ruin. And so we see here that commitment and loyalty are a huge part and a huge component to a good friendship. In fact, it even says there that there are friends who can and should stick closer to you than a brother or a sister. You see, unreliable people or flaky people, they can't be counted on or depended on. But there are people who are out there who are friends who are reliable and who can be counted on. They're what we might call sticky friends, right? Like there's just those people uh, who stick with you through thick and thin. They're just, you know, it's like, doesn't matter what's going on in your life, they're there for you. Like it doesn't matter that you've moved six times in two years. On moving day, these types of friends, they show up and they load the U-Haul once again. Now I know we've already looked at some of these, but Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 27, 10 says, do not forsake your friend and better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who's far away. I'm on this very point, Charles Spurgeon uh, said it like this. He said, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. You know, personally, I've never been into this show, but it's amazing how popular the sitcom Friends continues to be. It's like over 25 years old, and apparently it's had quite a resurgence among uh, Gen Zers who, uh, again, were not born when the show was out, but they've discovered it through Netflix or something else. And it's, again, it's just the popularity of it has just boomed. And again, I've never really been into it, and I don't know what the appeal is, but one writer I read this week said that perhaps one clue 
as to why it remains so popular can be found in the theme song title, which is, I'll be there for you. You see, because again, when it comes to friendship, we all crave commitment. We crave buy-in. We all want to know that there is someone out there who's got our back when we need it. And so this is the first mark of friendship, commitment. Let's go to the second mark that we see in Proverbs, and that is candor. Or you could even say correction. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The ESV says there, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, it might not seem like it, but one of the most loving things that a friend can do is to rebuke you or to correct you when you need it. You see, we might not like it, and it certainly is painful, but candor and honesty are absolutely crucial in a healthy friendship. You see, the reality is, is that true friends, they confront you, they don't condone you and your ungodly behavior. Proverbs 28, 23 says, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Very similar to that, Proverbs 29, 5 says, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. You see, again, we have to realize and we have to be honest with the fact that all of us have blind spots and areas of our life that need pointed out and corrected by others. And close friends, if they love you, if they are committed to you, they will gently and faithfully do that. In other words, they won't let you blindly go along in your sin. No, they will pull you aside and they will, again, gently point out those blind spots, those rough edges, and they'll give you an opportunity to talk about it and to repent. Again, Charles Spurgeon, I, I think, is helpful on this. He said, true friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly of your faults. Give me for a friend the man who will speak honestly of me before my face, who will not first tell one neighbor and then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, sir, I feel that there is such and such a thing in you, which as my brother, I must tell you of. That man is a true friend. He has proved himself to be so. Uh, Tim Keller put it uh, like this. He said, like a surgeon, friends cut you in order to heal you. And I don't know about you, but I have definitely had many friends like this in my life. Whether it's been Nick Lashiva who led us in worship this morning. Nick's been one of my closest friends for the last 15 to 20 years. And I think I've told you this story before, but uh, quite a few years ago, we were taking a class here at the church. And one of the books we went through in that class was called Caring Enough to Confront. And let me just tell you, Nick really took that book to heart. Uh, because we were neighbors at the time and we would ride to this class together and basically every night on the way home he would just begin telling me all the things that I had done wrong and and all of the ways that I had hurt him and it was definitely hard to take at the time especially again when it felt like every week there was something new to rebuke me for but again all of these years later I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that he loved me and that he he trusted me enough to be honest with me not only has it been Nick, though, there's been many others in my life, and probably the first and foremost person has been my wife. I mean, throughout the years, Faith has lovingly pointed out, not always gently, but lovingly pointed out my sins and flaws. And I know I've not said it yet, but just in terms of friendship, I mean, guys, if you are married, your spouse should be one of your closest friends. 
Now they can't be your only friend because I think that gets weird and unhealthy, but they should be one of your closest. And so again, as we think about what should mark a friendship, certainly another important and crucial mark is candor or correction. Let's move on though. A third mark of friendship that we see here in Proverbs is counsel. Now there are so many Proverbs which address this idea of counsel, but let me just share with you a few of them. Um, Proverbs 25, 11 says in the New American Standard, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Now I'm gonna be honest and vulnerable with you. I have no idea what apples of gold and settings of silver means. And if you do, you can come explain it to me later, but it sure sounds nice. It sounds like something that you and I should aim for. I, another one that I think is a little clearer is Proverbs 27, 9. It says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Or again, the NASB says, from their counsel. And so part of what I think this counsel looks like in a friendship is, is very simply just being a good listener, empathizing and, and giving good, sound, biblical advice. I mean, as a church, we love and we are so thankful for the professional counselors, both here in our church and outside our church. But one thing we've often said at like a membership class or in some other setting is that for a lot of people, professional counseling could be avoided if they just simply had a few close godly friends in their life. Friends who will take the time to listen to them and to give them sound advice. Now, again, in saying that, don't hear me uh, say something like, you know, against professional counseling, because certainly I am not. All I'm trying to, to emphasize is the power of having friends with this distinguishing mark in the relationship. And not only does this counsel apply, I think, to helping work through problems or different issues in your life, but I think it also applies to helping you make decisions. Proverbs 15:22 says, plans fail for the lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6 says, Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many counselors. We were talking about this idea in one of our staff meetings this week, and Pastor Chris was like, you know, it's basically like all of us need a board of directors in our life. You know, this, this group of people that we can bounce decisions off and who can help us walk in the way of wisdom. And so again, counsel would be another really really important mark of friendship. But the last mark we want to look at here from Proverbs is carefulness. You know, there's this very interesting and even comical proverb which talks about this, and it's Proverbs 26, 18, and 19, and it says this, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Now, that's a pretty funny picture. I don't even know what flaming arrows of death are, but they sound painful. And, and again, I, I don't know about you women out there, but for whatever reason, a lot of guys seem to have friendships like this. I mean, almost all of my friendships in high school looked like this. It was the kind of thing where we just pretty much made fun of each other constantly. And, and it was done in such a way that there was like a mess to it, right? Like it wasn't just like, oh, poking a little fun at each other. No, you were actually trying to tear the other person down in order to make yourself look better. And so maybe you might say something really sarcastic or uh, you, you point out some mistake or flaw. Or you're like, dude, you got a big nose or whatever it is. And then your friend kind of reacts and, and, and gets upset. And you're like, hey, man, come on. I'm just joking. Like, quit, 
quit being so, taking it so seriously. Quit being so sensitive. And yet here in terms of friendship, what we see is that kind of attitude or that kind of behavior is really destructive. And it's destructive because again, you're not being careful with your friend's emotions. You see, friends, they are supposed to help draw each other out, not shut each other down with hurtful jokes and teasing. Now, look, I don't think that means you can't have fun. I don't think that means you shouldn't or can't laugh, but that laughter shouldn't come at the expense of someone else's feelings. Another kind of funny proverb which talks about this is Proverbs 25, 19 through 20, which say, like a broken tooth, which just sounds awful, um, or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. You see, what I think this proverb is getting at is that part of what it means to be careful in friendship is having emotional sensitivity and emotional awareness in the relationship. You see, when it talks about singing songs uh, to a heavy heart, I think the point there is that the reason that that's so hurtful is because it shows that, that this person either doesn't know what's going on with you or worse, they know what's going on, but they just don't care. There's a kind of selfishness there. You see, Proverbs talks a lot about the power of words. In fact, we'll look more at this next week. But when it comes to this thought of carefulness in a friendship, sometimes one of the best things that you and I can do is to keep our mouth shut, to just sit there and to listen well and to show empathy, especially when a friend is going through something rough. I mean, Proverbs eleven twelve says, whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. You see, Proverbs shows us not only the marks of a good friendship, but it also shows us the enemies of friendship. And certainly being unreliable or being uncaring are enemies of friendship. So are things like gossip or slander or causing strife. Because again, what those show is that you are not being careful with your words or your actions. And so again, these are four, I think, really important uh, marks or aspects of friendship that we see in Proverbs. Commitment, candor, counsel, and carefulness. But let's go to that last part in our outline, and that is the most important friendship. You know, I shared with you earlier this quote from Mother Teresa where she was talking about the greatest disease in the West uh, being that of loneliness, but I actually only showed you half of the quote. And so let me read to you now the full quote. She wrote this. The greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. Now here's the part that I left off. She went on, she said, the poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. You see, Mother Teresa was really on to something there. Not only did she see and understand the physical impacts of loneliness on the body and on the soul, but she also saw that its cause was spiritual. I mean, not only does our world struggle with loneliness in terms of uh, relationships with one another, but we also, I think, as a culture, struggle with what some have started calling existential loneliness. 
Now, existential loneliness is where you feel lonely when you think about the big questions of life. Things like, why am I here? How do I fit into the universe? Or things like, what is the point or the meaning of life? You see, I think existential loneliness is ultimately the fruit of a secular worldview. It's what you naturally get when you believe that life is random and that it has no meaning or purpose. And therefore what you are left with is a deep ache in your heart. You're left with spiritual loneliness and even probably depression, which is part of the reason why I think our world is so crazy right now. I mean, because this has been sort of the, the building culture and the thing we've been working towards as a society, people are so desperate for meaning and purpose that they've turned to other things. They've already turned their back on God, but they can't live without meaning. And so they start to look for it in these other things, whether it's politics or education or whatever. Again, people are so desperate to have a greater cause to live for. And yet in the end, those secular gods, those secular idols, again, whether it's politics, education or entertainment or whatever, it will not satisfy. Those things will not cure that deep loneliness that permeates our culture. As Augustine so famously said hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so as we think about this last point here, certainly much of the loneliness in our culture is due to ignoring and denying our creator. And yet I don't think it's just non-Christians who are struggling with this. You see, the reality is, is that as Christians, you and I, we have been invited into an amazing relationship, an amazing friendship with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus tells us that in John chapter 15 at the Last Supper, he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business instead I have called you friends I mean I don't know about you but I find that to be amazing Jesus Christ the son of God the creator of all things he looks at you and he looks at me and he says I call you friend and yet just like any other type of friendship that relationship needs to be cultivated and poured into and again, I'm just worried that maybe for some of us in here, we have not been faithful in that. That maybe for some of us, there's a sense in which we have forgotten our first love. That we've allowed ourselves to be distracted. That we've looked to other people or to other things to fill that hole in our heart. And as a result, our friendship with Jesus has suffered. And maybe for some of you, maybe you feel that and you're like, yeah, you're right. Like, and you're like, God, where are and God's looking back at you and he's like, what do you mean, where am I? Where are you? Because I've been here waiting for you all along. I, I, I wait for you to wake up and I'm just so anxious for you to spend time with me. And so where have you been? You know, we talked about Genesis 2 earlier, but Genesis uh, chapter 3 after the fall, we get this really, I think, sad section. And it obviously you have there where God deals with the effects of sin. But before that, you get this passage where it talks about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the sense that you get there as you read it is that this was something that God did daily with Adam and Eve, that he would come down and he would join them and they would go on a walk in the garden and they would just talk and enjoy each other's company. But this time in chapter three, something's different. 
God was there, God was available, but his friends weren't. No, Adam and Eve were hiding. In fact, it says there, God begins to call out. He says, where are you? And I just wonder if there's some of us in here today, as we think about our friendship with Jesus, Jesus is looking at us and he's like, where are you, friend? Again, I've, I've been waiting for you. I'm eager to spend time with you. You see, we talked a lot today about what a good friendship looks like and what the marks of a friendship should be. But the truth is, is that Jesus is the only friend that you and I have who perfectly lives out these marks of friendship, right? Like Jesus is the ultimate friend. He is perfectly committed to the relationship. He is always honest and candid with us. Jesus always counsels us with his perfect wisdom. And he's always careful with our emotions. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, another uh, famous British pastor, in talking about friendship with the Lord and even about our shortcomings in that relationship, he wrote this. He said, Ah, I've kept him waiting when I ought not. But he has waited even then, always waiting, so patient with my foolishness, my weakness, my fear. Our fellowship is with God and fellowship is is friendship, and friendship means partnership, which on his part is the accommodating of his strength to my weakness. You see, even though you and I let Jesus down in our friendship with him, the Lord remains so patient. He remains so faithful and so kind. And so to close here, let me just share with you two really practical applications. The first is this, if you want a good friend, be a good friend. You know, for some of you, maybe today as we went through uh, some of these verses, maybe it was hard for you. Maybe you felt like, man, you know what? I, as I think about uh, my life, I just, I don't have any friends that, that really fit this, 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 what you're describing. And maybe because of that, you're starting to feel a little resentful or, or tempted to feel frustrated. But I really like what Vaughn Roberts in that book on true friendship said. He said, the way to have good friends is to be a good friend. Instead of lamenting that no one invites us for a meal, that our church is so unfriendly, that everyone relates in such a superficial level, let us take the initiative to open our homes and our lives and let's see what happens. And so again, this would be a really practical application. If you want a good friend, be a good friend. A second application though would be this, prioritize all friendships, but especially your friendship with Jesus. You know, I grew up in a, a pretty traditional uh, church. Obviously, I mentioned we listened to Southern Gospel, which if you've never listened to, it's definitely a, a cultural experience. But uh, in this church I grew up in, we listened, to, we basically sang only hymns. But there's been one hymn that I've been coming back to over and over again in the last, I don't know, four or five years or so. And it's this hymn called In the Garden. And the opening verse says this, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice that I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And then it breaks into this beautiful chorus, which goes, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joy that we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. You see, in Adam, you and I, we lost the right and the privilege of walking with God in the garden. But in Jesus Christ, that privilege and that friendship has been restored. 
And so by his grace and through his spirit, let's press into that and let us love our friend Jesus well, because again, he is faithful. He is always there waiting for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you. Just, ah, I'm just still, John 15, Lord, the fact that you look at us and you call us your friends is amazing. Lord, I just pray for myself and for my friends in here. Lord, help us to be faithful in that relationship. Jesus, help us to, to, to cultivate and to, to pour into that friendship with you. God, may it not be that one day, Lord, when we stand before you, it feels like we're meeting a stranger. No, Lord, may it never be. May it be when we see you face to face, Lord, there is such a familiarity there. There's such a deep connection, Lord, that we run into your arms and we give our friend a hug. May it not feel like we're meeting a stranger. No, Lord. In fact, Lord, you even say, if, if that's the case, you'll look at us and say, friend, I never knew you. Depart from me. And so God, would you be with us? Would you help us to both be, be the kinds of friends that we talked about this morning to others? Help us to have those marks of friendship. But Lord, will you also help us to be a friend to you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I do hope and trust that you were able to connect with the Lord, that you were able to hear from him. Um, you know, before we, I'm going to give a benediction here in a minute, but um, earlier we were praying uh, as, a, as a little production team. Uh, we always do that. We pray for the services. And uh, for whatever reason, as we started praying, I heard the word uh, or the words uh, kidney stones. And um, I just had a sense that maybe there was someone here today who uh, maybe this is a relatively, relatively new diagnosis uh, that you've been given. I thought maybe it was a male. Um, I now... To be honest, I could have missed it. It could have been the breakfast I ate. But uh, if that is you, um, please come down after the service. I would love to be able to pray for you. I don't, uh, again, I just had that sense and I'm trying to be faithful with that. And so again, if that's you, please come down and let me or one of the other pastors or prayer team members pray for you. Uh, and then for all of you, as always, if there's something going on in your life and you would like prayer, please come down after the service. We would love to be able to pray for you. Um, would you guys please stand as we close here with a final benediction? comes from 2 Peter 3.18. Now may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and at the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.